teach and to train believers in the world. Um, one thing I forgot to say before was uh, welcome back to Mim. Mim's been away for a month. I thought she might have come up with those big American hats when she walked in the door. Or did, did you go to Disneyland? You didn't get to Disneyland. Or Mickey Mouse hat, maybe or something like that. No, none of those things. But welcome back, Mim. You're back in safe and sound in one piece and all good. Did you pick up any accent? Kirk's nodding his head there. <laughs> Very good. Good to have you back. Are you glad to be back? Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Good. Good. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Philippians. We've got a few more weeks to go there. and I'm really loving uh, the book of Philippians. As I was preparing um, 10 days or so back, I really felt I got to the last couple of verses of a passage and thought, gee, I need to actually do a separate talk on that. So that's why I sort of... Um, held back last week and stopped at the last two verses, but this week we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3 and look at the last two verses in 10 and 11. But before we get there, um, Richard Branson, um, the businessman behind the Virgin Group of Companies, you might know him with a Virgin Blue and all the other things that he's sort of behind and hot air balloon stuff he did a few years ago. Uh, Richard Branson t- said this about passion. Passion is one of the most effective motivators when it comes to launching a business and then often one of the strongest predictors of whether an idea will lead to success. Richard Branson is probably quite a passionate guy if you've actually seen him in his uh, talks or the way he goes about his business activities and that's what he said about passion, one of the most effective motivators. Uh, Passion is an incredibly driving force uh, that will take anybody uh, through many tough times and obstacles. Passion just seems to keep driving people on. What's your passion? What drives you that actually might take you through tough times or struggles or challenges? What would be the thing you would say is your passion in that sense? Uh, Come with me to Philippians chapter 3 again and we'll read uh, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, uh, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found to not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the, res- <coughs> the resurrection from the dead. Nearly died then in the last couple of words. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you today that we have this uh, living, eternal word. And I pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would help us as we look at the whole of uh, verses 1 to 11, but particularly focusing on verses 10 to 11, that you would help us to cry out, as Paul the Apostle does, that I may know him. Let that cry echo through our hearts and through our souls today and become a driving passion within us that I may know him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian living through gospel conversion is designed by God uh, to be a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, his glorious Son. To be a Christian and following Jesus Christ is always meant to be an alive and felt experience by believers. This is God's purpose for us. When the Holy Spirit indwelled believers at Pentecost, they knew about it. Far more than just a head knowledge or some sort of written code somewhere, they had a real experience of, uh, of the gospel. And for Paul, who writes this letter to the Philippians, this is no different. It's no different. Paul had experienced this conversion power of the gospel. He knew what it was to have the desires renewed within him. At one point, Paul was filled with rage and wanted to kill Christians. It says he was going down the road to Damascus, breathing out threats of murder. And he had been there when Stephen was uh, stoned and he raised his hand in, in compliance with all the rest of the people to say he, he must be killed. That's who Paul was. But this same Paul, after being born again and converted uh, by the gospel, he now loves, helps and is building up the very ones he had tried to kill. At one moment he's trying to kill them, the next moment he's loving them, helping them and building them up. Paul's heart has been renewed. He now has a passion for Jesus Christ and his kingdom to see it grow. And this passion is reflected in this passage before us today. Paul sort of uses this emotive expression here as he's writing this down um, for the Philippians, which serves to see us to see these intense desires uh, that Paul has for Jesus Christ. And it seems to culminate there in verse 10, right at the end of this passage. And he says there, as he sort of cries out, that I may know him, that I may know him, is what Paul says there. It's as Paul has been building this picture here of Jesus Christ for us through his, this passage and his beauty, his worth, his love and his majesty. It's like Paul sort of lets loose here with this intense longing that I may know him more and more and deeper and deeper. Paul's giving us here this picture of this uh, passion that he has for Christ. Not forgetting where Paul is, though, when he's writing this, he's sitting in a jail cell chained up to the elite Roman commandos. He's not going anywhere in a hurry without them. He's chained there in a prison. It's a pretty despairing and desperate situation. But yet, with this deep, joyful passion, overflows from within Paul and says, Jesus, I want to know him. I want to know him more and more. I want to be saturated with Jesus Christ. He's like the intense longings here of Paul as he says this for us today. And so this is where we're going to go today. Uh, we want this same passion in Paul's life uh, to be reflected and to become ours, to become a passion that drives us. Uh, the same Jesus that saved Paul is the same Jesus that has saved us. Because as we know Jesus and we know this passion, we truly begin to experience what life and joy really is to, to the full. And uh, we'll discover also that going through this, that knowing Jesus will actually find its deepest points here uh, through sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, as it shows us in those last couple of verses there in verses 10 and 11. 
This is what the gospel does. It takes everything and just sort of turns it all upside down in comparison to this world. Okay, firstly though, Jesus, our confidence. It'll help us, I think, if we just go back through verses 1-9 quickly to set the context of how Paul gets to verses uh, 10-11 here with this passion. Paul gives us a warning first as we looked at there last week in verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, the early New Testament church suffered much at the hands of the Jews uh, who staunchly held to the law of Moses and circumcision. And this is who Paul is referring to here. Uh, those who mutilate the flesh is code for the circumcisers who are strictly uh, keeping obedience to this law of Moses, all the civil ceremonies and circumcision. Uh, Paul's onto that. Paul's onto that. Because these ones of the circumcision, these mutilators of the flesh, said to be, to be right with God and to be saved from their sins was all about their own performance in keeping up with all these rituals and laws and ceremonies. It was all, all about how good they could keep this up and then somehow they could build up some sort of confidence in themselves and present that before God for saying, hey, now you need to declare me righteous, God, because I've done all these things. Paul, with passion, blasts that confidence right out of the water. He does not hold back there. In verses 4 to 6, he lays out this like this golden Jewish pedigree. He sort of lists all those things. Basically saying if anyone can boast about some sort of confidence or status or pedigree, he said, it's me. I am the Jew of all Jews given my background and my training. If there's any confidence, Paul's saying, it's me. Then in verses 7 to 9, he shows us the true worth of these so-called confident claims that they might try and cling on to. And he does this here in comparison to Jesus Christ, the God-man who gave his life up on the cross. Paul's saying, all of my achievements are just rubbish. And as we looked at last, word, uh, last week, uh, that word has a stronger sort of root meaning, which means dung. All of those achievements are just like poo, is what Paul is saying, compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Everything that I thought I could impress God with through my efforts is like presenting God with a truckload of this rotting, uh, stinking garbage. It's an, it's an offence and insulting to him to think this is my confidence that somewhat, this is what I'm presenting to make myself right. Paul's discovered the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Paul has seen that Jesus has offered up a life of complete obedience to God and a perfect sacrifice to cover Paul's sin. He said, if I had any confidence in the other stuff, this is nothing in comparison to who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul has grasped here the beauty of Christ and the right standing that he now offers uh, through faith. And as we see here, as we get to these uh, last couple of verses, Paul's like blown away by Jesus Christ. All of his past, he says, it is nothing. All those achievements is nothing. He's just blown away. He's mesmerized. And he's now wonderfully filled with these intense longings for Jesus in a really, really personal way. He cries out that I may know him as he begins to uh, see this worth of Jesus growing and growing and growing. This now leads us to verses 10 and 11. Uh, Jesus, our passion. Paul is filled with a passion for Jesus. So you can see it right through this passage. He longs to be, he wants us to be filled with that same passion as well. If Paul was sitting here today, that would be his prayer. That Exchange Church Chapman would be filled with a passion for Jesus Christ to know him. And he expresses it right there at verse 10. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection. We are people of passions. Everybody in this room has a passion. This is how God has made us. God is not a passionless God. God is filled with passion himself. Every, everybody has some sort of desire or longing that drives us. Something that moves us or motivates us. You've only got to flick on the TV on Prime and watch AFL and you'll see this and people are very passionate about their sporting teams. Not only football, but it can be in tennis, it can be cricket, it can be any number of things. You see people are passionate there. People can be passionate about their homes. They can be so uh, passionate about their homes, it's like they just nearly sparkle with this appearance. They are so consumed by this um, place called home. Uh, People will be passionate about their hobbies. People will get out in the woodwork shed and they'll go away and they'll spend hours and hours just chipping away and shaving and sanding and staining and doing all sorts of things woodwork. They'll be passionate about their hobbies. People will be passionate about their animals. They will be. They'll have cats or dogs and they'll literally treat them like children sometimes. And a few people start to look to the floor now when I say that. <laughs> Some people like that. Oh, I'll look up here, okay? <laughs> Some people are like that. There's a billion things we can be passionate about. There really, really is. Passion isn't wrong in itself. It's not wrong to be, uh, have a passion because that's how God's made us. But what we are most passionate about will actually lead our heart. What we are most passionate about will begin to lead our heart or lead us as a person. The thing or object that we are most passionate about will capture our heart. It just naturally happens that the things we are most passionate about begin to determine our desires. And that in in turn then begins to determine our actions. If someone's passionate about cars, then their heart will turn out desires to do more and more things about cars. They'll eventually actually spend more time on their cars. They'll spend more money on their cars. It's just something that grabs hold of them and it begins to determine um, those actions and those desires. But Paul here has this supreme passion for Jesus that he shows us here really clearly in this passage. And there's two things here that he's passionate about and has these intense desires for when it comes to uh, Jesus Christ. And first Paul says that he wants to know Jesus Christ. He wants to know him. And this isn't just in a head knowledge way, like a whole number of facts and figures like Jesus' birthday and his favourite cup of coffee. Or It's not that. It's not that. It's something far more than that. It's, it's a personal and intimate knowledge. It's a bit like, you know, I know Malcolm Turnbull, and I guess everybody else here knows Malcolm Turnbull. You do, but you don't know him personally. Maybe there is somebody in the family line here somewhere. Maybe not. But, that, but Paul wants to go way deeper than just knowing. He wants to know personally and intimately. And second here, Paul also wants to know the power, the power of Jesus' resurrection, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yes, Paul knows there's a resurrection coming. He does. But he wants to know the power of the resurrection now. Paul in some way wants to experience personally that resurrection power now. That's what we can look at here as we think about this all-consuming passion that Paul has here for Jesus Christ. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
Now, what you might expect Paul to say next in knowing Jesus, say, I want to know him, what you might expect him to say next is, well, read your Bible more, pray more, be committed to church more, and serve more. You sort of think Paul would just sort of roll onto that, wouldn't you? Okay, want to know Jesus, do this, do this, do this. Hey, if you want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, you need to do more of that stuff. But Paul doesn't say that here in this passage in these last couple of verses, does he? Now, all of those things are good to do in wanting to know Christ better, and we would certainly encourage all those things, praying, reading, uh, committed to church and serving your brothers and sisters. But that's not what Paul says here in this passage. Look at what he says in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Okay, we've got that, Paul. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Suffering for Jesus. That I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Is that a typo? Is that a misprint? Has someone made a mistake here in copying the manuscripts? Is that really what you're saying there, Paul? That I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death? Surely that can't be right. Can it? Paul, are you saying to know Jesus and his resurrection power personally is through suffering and death? Paul, that's not going to be real popular as we take that to the streets of Shepparton. They're probably not going to be gravitating towards that message in any way, Paul. Have you got that right? This is precisely what Paul is saying. Paul is right on the button here. It's not a typo. It's not a misprint. Jesus, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection by by being willing to suffer for you now and by dying daily to my selfish desires that would try and rule and capture my heart. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus uh, draws us into incredibly deep fellowship with him. Jesus said this about trouble in life uh, in John 16. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace... Jesus is going to give us peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You will have tribulation. Not you may have tribulation, you will have tribulation. Paul, the apostle, said this in Acts 14 as well. Uh, going around all the churches, he says this in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying... That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, trials, challenges, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is New Testament Christianity in 2018. This is to be expected as followers of Jesus in this world. We live in a world that is currently captive to Satan. That is currently in rebellion against the rule of Jesus Christ in this world. Sometimes we see it really overtly. Sometimes it's more sort of... Um, subconsciously, but that's where we are. Anything that stands for Christ will in some way be opposed to the ways and the values of this current world, or you can flip that around. In some way, anything of this world, of its uh, values and ways, will be opposed to those of Jesus Christ. And when that's the case, when there's that clash there, there's going to be certain degrees of suffering that will take place. That will take place. 
But here's Paul's point. He knows and he understands that this is where we have our sweetest experiences of Jesus Christ is in these clash points, if you might call them, or points of suffering. When our faith is on the line and we go out on a limb for Jesus, it's painful, isn't it? It's painful. It hurts in some way. A couple of examples. You might be out for lunch with a bunch of workmates. The hour is nearly up, but the gang want to stay a little bit longer past the hour. And as long as you all stay together and if you slip back in as one group, it's probably not going to be a drama. But hang on. You want to apply the gospel to your workplace. You want to be honourable to the boss. You want to get back there within the hour. And the moment you do that, you make the rest of them look bad. And you tell them you're going back in and say, no, 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 you've got to stay with us. There's a bit of a clash point there. A bit of tension, a bit of friction. Slight degree there of um, suffering and pain. Or you're working in a hospital with women's health. And the tests have come back on a lady's pregnancy and the baby is severely handicapped. The team get together and you have to advise an abortion because the quality of life will be far too difficult and far too hard to allow this child to go to full term and come into this world. You're sitting there as a Christian and the gospel kicks in and you say, I can't say that. God is the author of life. Life is sacred before him. And then you know the moment you have like two options here. Do I, do I sit quietly and say nothing and just sort of you know, let them make the decision but I'm still part of it? Or do I pipe up and say something And then I'm getting challenged because I'm saying we should let this baby go to full term. There'll be a degree of pain and suffering that will come with that because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Just maybe for these Philippians here, I think Paul possibly had this in mind. Because these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, were coming with all this Old Testament sort of um, civil ceremony and sacrifices and the whole box and dice that come with that. And they were, Paul was sort of thinking, if you guys go down that path, you'll pick a very safe option of non, non-confronting religion, but went, which won't be based on Jesus Christ, but you'll actually take the path of least resistance by just following down the path of these um, circumcision party. And Paul's saying, if you do that, uh, you're actually just going into a religion of dead works. Or other than that, you need to go out and make yourself uh, on a limb or at risk now because you're going to put your faith in Christ and actually say we're not going to go down this path of circumcision and all those other things. Perhaps a bit of tension coming for these Philippians. Paul also says here about coming, becoming like him in his death. Like him in his death here. Uh, that is linked to uh, experiencing Jesus passionately and personally. And I get the sense here that as Jesus... Uh, as Paul says this, it's the sense here that as Jesus has died for our sin, so, so we too are dying to our sinful desires that rise up in our hearts daily as we're confronted with challenges in this world. As we die to these desires, it won't be like now our heart wants to respond and go down that path or, or pull, in our heart, pull hard in our hearts. Our heart, we're actually dying to those desires. And Jesus said that here in uh, Luke 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's this picture here of dying to ourself that that Jesus is talking about. Now in dying to those sinful, selfish desires, there's a, a degree of pain and suffering that we will feel in that. Because they'll pull hard on our hearts and we'll be resisting them with the Holy Spirit's power, but it'll be some degree of pain and suffering there. 
On face value, what Paul says in those couple of verses doesn't look real attractive, does it? It's not sort of magnetically drawing you in. It feels like a bit of difficulty there. But here's what Paul has experienced and what millions of other believers have experienced down through the ages in this sense. It's through times of challenge, trial and suffering that Jesus has become sweeter and sweeter to us. It really is the experience of believers tested through time down through the ages. In these challenges, when things like our faith are on the line, we can feel like our power has somewhat been stripped away from us. We feel weak. We feel powerless. It could be, again, you're amongst a group who are strongly talking about advocating same-sex marriage and you can feel really powerless among that group because you have a different point of view. You feel weakened because there's whole groups all talking in one direction and you feel like you're just sort of diminishing away to the sort of feeling really weak in that context. We feel weak and this brings sort of a degree of pain and suffering for us. It's amazing though when we have nothing left in the way of strength in that sense that Jesus comes in in the very, very sweet way with his presence and we begin to feel strong in him. But it's in weakness. This is the upside-down nature of the gospel. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? It's like a paradox. It's like opposites. When I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what experiencing in sharing in the sufferings of Christ and becoming like him in his death is. We know Jesus in a personal and powerful way. And this serves to make Christ more and more glorious to us. We experience his grace and his presence. And it comes through uh, markedly sometimes the most challenging of situations the most challenging of situations, it's amazing how we experience Christ there in more deep and intimate ways. Paul also says here in this that he wants to experience the power of his resurrection as well. You might say, well, how does that happen? How does that happen? What does Paul mean when he says experiencing the power of the resurrection? Does that mean I've got to die and then rise again to sort of experience that? Well, think about what the resurrection means to us here and now. Really what it means to us here and now is hope, isn't it? The resurrection actually speaks hope into our lives. Our hope is that we will live with Jesus forever because of the resurrection, because of what he has done. So when we're facing challenges in this world, the sense here of the power of the resurrection is this, that resurrection hope kicks in and tells me this when I'm facing the challenges. This challenge is not always going to be like this. This suffering or this trial will not always be like this. 
It may be very, very tough now with lots of pain. Could be an example here like this. That ever since I've been a Christian in my family, they've rejected me. They've cut me off. They've separated me. I feel rejected in them. I feel pain and suffering through that. But it won't always be like that. It won't always be like that. And that resurrection power uh, quickens hope into my heart. That's the resurrection power that Paul's wanting to experience Christ in is this hope that fills his heart because of the resurrection. And that becomes a glorious, glorious hope for Paul. Where again he experiences Christ in a sweeter, sweeter way. Suffering brings us sweet times with Jesus Christ. It really does. When we have nothing left to cling to, Jesus becomes more gloriously beautiful to us. When everything else has failed us and uh, left us high and dry and all we have is Christ left, he becomes sweeter and sweeter to us in those times. That's not to say we don't experience Jesus when life is rolling along okay and we don't have troubles. We still experience Jesus then. But it's just amazing how often when life is just rolling along and the stock market's doing well and our health's good and all those sort of things and everything's going well, we just don't seem to think about Christ as much. We don't feel like we need him as much when life's kicking along like that. It's amazing how the difficult times make Jesus sweeter to us. Paul wants us to have this passion. God wants us to have this passion to drive us. This passion for Jesus Christ. This passion of Paul's here is a godly desire that God wants us to be driven by. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts to have an intensity of desire for Jesus Christ. Paul's already said this earlier in the book of Philippians. He said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get a real picture there of Paul's passion for Jesus Christ. This passion transforms everything. This desire to know Christ and to experience him utterly transforms everything. With this passion in place and growing uh, by the Spirit's power, we will have, uh, we'll face suffering with a sense of joy, which again doesn't make sense. But in Jesus Christ and in his power, it's possible. And it's not with an attitude here of just slogging it out in the trench and I'm just going to grip my teeth and bear my way through it. There's a sense here where it can be done with joy because of the passion of Jesus Christ that changes everything. Resurrection power will fuel us to see that Jesus is more glorious than anything in this world. And as we see Jesus glorious and with his passion, it will enable us to go through anything for the cause of Christ. Now that joy will come and go in various levels. It doesn't mean you're going to bound through the most severest pain and suffering with just sort of tiptoe through the tulips playing a ukulele? No. But there'll be a sense of deep-rooted joy that will quietly be still in the background during that really challenging time. With this passion, when it comes out to looking upon this world that we live in, it will drive us to love the people more deeply around about us. This passion transforms that. It transforms the way we look at people because we want them to experience Jesus Christ as well. We want them to know him. We want them to know the power of the resurrection. We want them to know what it is to go through the tough times of suffering and to experience Jesus with a great passion. And at the cost or sacrifice to do this evangelism, uh, it'll pale away into the significance. 
Because why? Because Jesus is worth it all. There will be cost, there will be sacrifice in evangelism, but because the passion of Christ drives us, he is worth it all. When it comes to serving the community of believers, the passion of Jesus will help us to do this with a whole new light and joy. With fresh desires, fresh mindset, fresh attitude. This passion will drive me to serve zealously the community of believers that I'm amongst. It will push me on. I'm presented a chance to help grow people in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a gift. That's a real gift and blessing from God to do that. I get to share a passion with others to help them maybe grow in a passion. That's an amazing blessing that we get to do. I'm driven by this passion because I want them to grow and experience in deeper ways a more more personal and passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. So serving takes on a whole new light. Every aspect here that we take place in Exchange Church is an opportunity to help people to grow in a passion to serve Jesus. It's an opportunity to help people see Jesus is far, uh, surpasses anything in this world. So when we go and serve in kids' church, I have a golden opportunity. I get to influence those kids and pass on a passion that Jesus Christ is worth it all. And I get to do this at like ground zero of those kids. So right at an earlier stage, they are building there in their lives the foundation that Jesus is worth it all. As I have that passion and I get to share that passion with them, it's a gift. It's a blessing that God gives us. This passion's got to drive us. This passion's got to be the motivator here that daily it's the prayer of our souls that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let me close here with this last uh, passage here from Acts chapter 5. Just a great example here of the apostles. Acts chapter 5 verse 40. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles then, that is, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. Because of the passion of Jesus Christ... They can get beaten, there's plenty of suffering in that, and they can leave rejoicing. Now, that defies our imagination, but it's only the passion of Jesus Christ, revealed through the gospel, empowered by his spirit, that actually enables you to have that mindset or to experience that type of joy. It's confounding, unless you know Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what uh, major challenge you're facing or minor challenge you're facing. But I can assure you of this. If you look to Christ and set him as your passion in the middle of that challenge, in the middle of that trial, whatever it may be, if you set yourself to do that, you will experience experience Christ deeply, personally and intimately. You may not be able to describe it or put it into words, But you'll know that you'll know that you'll know that you'll know that Christ is within me. And that will come in those really, really challenging times. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise today that we can come around uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Lord, we thank you that you inspired the apostle to write this. Holy Spirit, we thank you today that you uh, placed a deep passion within him and he He knew this passion. He knew this 
uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the craziest of places. Lord, he knows it in sharing in your sufferings and he knows it through becoming like you in, in your death by dying to his own desires of selfishness in the world. And he knows you through, uh, the, fellow, uh, through the um, power of the resurrection. God, I pray today that you will help us to really deeply experience that. That, Lord, these things will not overwhelm us, these challenges. Lord, they will come, but they won't overwhelm us, we pray. We pray, God, that we will put our focus back upon Christ. And, Lord, that passion within us of looking upon Jesus who has gone before us and made uh, eternal life possible and made the resurrection possible, that we will experience that power in our lives deeply, personally and intimately. And we pray, God, that will become contagious amongst all of us as we get that chance to share it with each other. God, we thank you today for that. And uh, Lord, we do uh, commit that uh, now for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sam, as you uh, come back and uh, lead us in a song to close. Again, guys, um, would love to uh, catch up with anybody. If you have some questions or want to pray uh, some prayer, I'll be more than happy to catch up with you.